Good morning. Back at your day. A fortnight ago in this pulpit, you mentioned how you had been told that your age had been assessed as 63 and you constant and you therefore were a little bit concerned about the work you would be doing at camp all this week. But let me assure you, you have no problem. 63 is so young. <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this morning, not only because you are our Father, but you are the great God who is almighty and eternal. We're about to look into your word. And as we do, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our thinking and to lead us along your paths and set out the paths that are set out for us in your word. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal your will to us this morning. So open our eyes to see. Open our minds to grasp and understand. And open our hearts to hide your word away so that we may obey it, putting it into practice in our daily lives. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I had expected that we would have the Bible reading from our normal English Standard Version this morning and uh, I was going to open my talk this morning with a composite paraphrase of the same passage which I thought would already be in your minds. But if you've got your Bibles, open them at Deuteronomy 4, 32, verse 32 and I'm going to read a composite paraphrase having thought that we would already have heard the ESV. So as we come to this, let me refresh your minds about what Moses said to the people of Israel in the passage that we're considering today. The people of Israel had come out of Egypt and they'd spent the best part of 40 years wandering around. But at last, they had come to the point of crossing the Jordan River and entering to possess and occupy Canaan, the land that God had promised Abraham centuries earlier that his descendants would inherit. So, Deuteronomy 4, 32 to 40, a composite paraphrase. As Moses said, Ask yourselves if anything like this has ever happened in all history, going right back to creation when God created man on earth long before your time, has anything as mighty as this ever been heard of? You can search from one end of heaven to the other, from horizon on the east to horizon on the west, to see if you can find anything like this. 
Did any entire nation ever hear the voice of God talking out of the midst of fiery flames as you yourselves have heard and lived to tell the story? Did any God ever select a nation for itself and attempt to take it away from within another nation? Did it send plagues and use miraculous signs and wonders to do it? Did it put its strong hand in and reach its long arm out and be a spectacle both awesome and staggering in order to achieve such a thing? But all of this, the Lord your God did for you in Egypt. And he did it right before your very eyes while you stood right there and watched. In this wonderful way, the Lord has acted on your behalf. And he wants you to realize that Jehovah is indeed God. There is no other beside him. He is the only God there is. He even made it possible for you to hear his voice for your instruction, for obedience, for discipline. He showed you the great fire and you heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. It was because he loved your ancestors that he decided that you would be his people. He chose to bless you their descendants. So he personally used his great power to bring you out of Egypt. Then, with a great display of power, he has displaced bigger and stronger and older nations than you. He did this in order to give you their land as an inheritance. And this is actually happening for you right now. So today, be sure and take this to heart. Make it your wonderful thought for the day. God is in heaven above and God is here on earth below. He is the only true God there is. Therefore, you must keep his rules and commands, his statutes, living obediently by them. Today I'm explaining them to you, even commanding you. If you live accordingly, obediently, you will find that you will live well and your children will also live well. You will live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Wow, what a God. He chose for himself a people who would be his very own. And he made an agreement, a covenant with them. He would look after them, even doing great miracles on their behalf, caring for them as a father would his son. And they, for their part, would obey him and follow his instructions and teachings about the way that they were to live in order to enjoy all that he would provide for them. I repeat, wow, what a God. He gave them salvation, rescuing them from bondage and slavery in Egypt and was about to bring them into a land that they would inherit and possess for themselves and it would be for all time. 
In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul wrote about this very time in the history of the Israelites. And in verse 11 he said, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for your instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. So the wonderful thing that God did for the Israelites is for us to learn from them and for us to know that God has done an equally wonderful thing for us. Just as he provided salvation for these Israelites, so he's provided salvation for us. And again I say, wow, what a God. God chose his people for himself. It's very interesting to me that God bypassed Enoch, of whom it is written in Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And then God passed Noah, of whom it was also written in Genesis 6.9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. God is sovereign. And he deliberately chose Abraham, that idol worshipper, from Ur of the Chaldeans. And he chose him deliberately for his descendants to be his very own people. And there's something equally wonderful recorded for us today in John 15, 16, where our Lord said, You did not choose me, choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And in Ephesians 1.4 we read, Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Which is exactly what God required of the Israelites. As he said to them in Leviticus 19.2, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. God chose us, but we also had to make the decision to ask the Lord Jesus into our lives. As John 3.16, known to probably all of you, as it reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So it is true that whoever wills may come to God through Jesus Christ. The door is wide open. But once we have asked the Lord Jesus into our hearts and lives, we find that indeed we have been chosen by God. As the principal of my Bible college many, many years ago used to say, as it were, there was a big arch over the entrance to the kingdom of God. As you approach the arch, you find the words written on it, whosoever will may come. But once you pass through under the arch and look back, you find written on the other side of it, chosen in him. As God saved the people of Israel from bondage and slavery in Egypt, so also he has provided wonderful salvation for us. And that's what I want to look into right now.
And just as with the Israelites, we will find that our salvation has three tenses also. The past, the present, and the future. In other words, we have been saved. Past tense. We are being saved. Present tense. And we will be saved. Future tense. Oh, that to me is a wonderful salvation indeed. So let's look at each aspect of of salvation and see what God has so wonderfully provided for us. It can be described in three great Bible terms, but don't worry about those words. Big words, justification, sanctification and glorification. Justification first. Justification is an act of God whereby in a single moment of time he declared the sinner to be righteous, acceptable in his God's sight, all because of what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. This could have been a dramatic moment as it was with Saul on the road to Damascus when the Lord appeared to him and spoke with him revealing who he was. Few of us ever have such a dramatic experience. But many tell of a particular moment when they ask the Lord Jesus to come into their hearts and lives. Others of us don't really know the moment that we became Christians, but there was some moment somewhere when we asked the Lord Jesus into our lives. And that is the moment that we were justified in God's sight. That is the moment that he accepted us As his. What a moment that was. And though we were unaware of it, a number of wonderful things happened at that very moment. Romans 3 verses 23 and the following verses tell us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So even though we were all sinners, God has accepted us and forgiven us our sins, showing his mercy as an undeserved gift, all because we have trusted the death of the Lord Jesus and the shedding of his blood for sin. But it is definitely a matter of whether we have accepted the Lord Jesus as our saviour, our saviour from sin, because he took the death penalty for sin that God said had to be paid. Romans 6.23 reminds us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We saw a moment ago that all have sinned. So we all fell under the death penalty because of our sin. But Jesus paid that death penalty when he took our sin in his body and died for us on the cross of Calvary. The Living Bible paraphrases 2 Corinthians 5.21 as, For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins, the whole load of human sin. That included every sin that had ever been sinned 
and every sin that would still be sinned, the whole load of human sin poured into the body of the Lord Jesus on the cross at Calvary. So the moment I asked the Lord Jesus into my life, that was how God saw me. He once knew me as a sinner, bound to receive death for my sin. But that moment, he accepted me and made me his very own, all because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. No wonder the Lord had to cry from the cross, as we have it recorded in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The holy God could not look on his son whom he loved so dearly because he had all of our sin poured into his sinless body. At that moment, when Jesus came into my life, my past sins were all forgiven. At that moment, I stood sinless before God. Probably the only moment in my life when that was ever true. As Romans 6.6 6 says, Our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been justified, set free from sin. Unfortunately, however, we all do sin. But God prepared something wonderful there again. First John 1 John 1.9 reminds us, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. He can be relied on. God is just because the death penalty for my sin has been paid for by Jesus' death on the cross where his blood was shed for that very purpose. How wonderful. The moment I believed in Jesus' death for me and accepted him into my heart and life, a number of wonderful things happened. Oh yes, I was justified in God's sight, accepted by him. But at that moment, I also became a child of God, entering his family. John 1, 12 and 13 tells me very clearly, to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he, God, gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. At that moment, as in John 3, 3, what Jesus told Nicodemus had to happen, did happen. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So at that very moment when we believed, we were indeed born again, born anew from heaven, and became members of the kingdom of God. That was why Paul was able to write in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We became citizens of the kingdom of heaven the moment we believed in Jesus. And Paul went on to say that from there we would await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, at that very moment, when we believed, we received the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Paul asked the Ephesian Christians in Acts 19.2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
It was what Paul expected would have happened. The Ephesian Christians hadn't realized what had happened. And many, many Christians today have not been taught and do not realize that it is one of the wonderful things that happen the moment we become saved, the moment we ask the Lord Jesus into our lives, the moment we are justified in God's sight. God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, comes into our lives to dwell within us. He is indeed, from that moment on, the indwelling Holy Spirit. As Ephesians 1, 13, 14 lets us know, In him, Jesus, you also, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. From that moment on, we've been marked as belonging to God, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so scripture tells us that the Father and the Son both indwell us, but in the person of the Holy Spirit. So I'm justified. I'm accepted by God, all because of Jesus, who on the cross paid the death penalty that I deserved because I was a sinner. My sins were forgiven. I was born again, born anew, born from heaven. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells me, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the Christian becomes a new man, a new woman. I became also a, ch a child of God's family. Also, I became a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And wonder of all wonders, God the Holy Spirit entered my life and indwells me. What a wonderful salvation I received in the past when I believed in the Lord Jesus. The Israelites in the time of Moses could well rejoice in the wonderful salvation they received as they were delivered from slavery with a glorious new life ahead of them. And we Christians can equally rejoice at the wonderful salvation God has given us as we become new people with a glorious spiritual life ahead of us. But that wasn't all that the Israelites enjoyed. At the very time that Moses was speaking to them, they were enjoying a wonderful new aspect of life. They were wonderfully victorious. As God had driven out before them nations that were greater and mightier and older than they were to give them their land for an inheritance. So there was a present an ongoing aspect to the salvation that God had worked for them. And so there is for Christians, for us today. And this is the present tense of our salvation. It's sanctification. And sanctification is a process whereby God makes us, in fact, more and more righteous as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and lives, turning us more and more into the kind of people that God wants us to be. 
Notice, this is as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. In John 14, 16 and 17, the Lord said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. In John 15, 26, the Lord continued, But when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. And in John 16, 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Lord said, He will glorify me. It is the Holy Spirit's consuming passion to teach you and me as if we are Christians more and more about Jesus and to make us ever more and more like him. Like him in righteousness and holiness just as we were chosen to be. So the Holy Spirit is our Lord's advocate ever speaking up about the Lord and for the Lord reminding us of his teaching, honouring him, glorifying him. And when the Holy Spirit sees something in our life that is not honouring to the Lord, something that is in our lives but not according to the scriptures, he will speak to us and ask us to confess our sin and grow in righteousness. The Holy Spirit speaks up for the Lord and he speaks into our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit is a process stretched over a whole lifespan as he seeks to make us, in fact, more and more righteous, more and more like when Jesus Christ lived on earth, more and more like the people that God wants us to be. The Holy Spirit speaks to us Romans 8.16 tells us the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 1 Corinthians 2.9 and the following verses are absolutely wonderful. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the very depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And as the Holy Spirit speaks up for Jesus... He speaks to our spirits for us to change our ways and to become more righteous in our behaviour as God wants us to be. He speaks up for our lives to conform more and more to what the Bible asks us to be as citizens of God's kingdom. This releases us more and more from the power that sin seems to hold in our lives. As we listen to the Holy Spirit's voice as he speaks to us and obey him, we gain more and more victories in life, just as the Israelites discovered when God drove out before them nations that were greater and mightier and older than they were, to bring them in and give them their land as an inheritance. 
we're exhorted in Romans 6.12 not to let sin reign in our bodies. As we listen to the Holy Spirit's voice and as we say no to things, we will find that sin has less and less power in our lives. And we don't stand alone in this. The Holy Spirit indwells us to help us. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 16 and the following verses that God would grant you to be strengthened by his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the work of the Holy Spirit empowering our lives so that more and more we can live the kind of life that God wants us to live. So the present tense of our salvation is being strengthened day by day so that we can become, in fact, more and more righteous. God has provided all we need for this to be our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly experience as we grow and grow and grow in the Lord. And just as we have the Holy Spirit doing this sanctifying work in our lives, let's not lose sight either of the glorious fact that we find in 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. And then there is the third tense of our salvation, the future. Moses wound up this part of his speech to the nation by reminding them that God would prolong their days in the sorry, that God would prolong their days in the land that he was giving them, indeed for all time. So this brings us as Christians to a glorious future to our glorious future. This is glorification. It is a state in which we will live forever with God the Father, being truly righteous. Ephesians 5.27 tells us that, we, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. How absolutely wonderful. When Jesus returns, he will take us and present us to the Father and we will be completely holy and righteous and we will live with him forever. That will be the full consummation of our salvation. Eternity with God. Of course, for us Christians, eternal life has already begun. It began the moment we followed we believed in Jesus. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 5.24 Where Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And as a friend of mine used to say, H-A-S spells got it. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. John 17, 3. This is life eternal, 
that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. 1 John 5, 12 and 13 clenches the matter beyond doubt. And this is the testimony that God gives us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And of course Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the life. Eternal life is the very life of God and we share that life. Those of us who have asked the Lord Jesus into our lives to save us from sin, we have eternal life right now. And it will go on and on forever. These bodies of ours, yes, they'll die unless we're still living when the Lord Jesus returns. But eternal life goes on. Life of the Spirit. And then wonder of wonders, when Jesus returns, what another wonderful thing will happen? Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And John wrote in his epistle in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So, eternal life in eternal bodies. How glorious. So, our salvation is threefold. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, which God decreed to be death. But we have passed from that death to life, because Jesus paid the death penalty for us. And now we're being daily saved from the power of sin that wants to draw us away from God. And we're saved by the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in in our lives as he constantly points us to Jesus and works righteousness in our lives, making us more and more the kind of people God wants us to be. Oh, and then, one glorious day, we will have the full consummation of our salvation when we will be with God the Father forever, eternally, saved from the very presence of sin. It will be a wonderful life that goes on and on and on forever with the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. What a wonderful salvation God has purposed for us. Let me finish by reading the words of that lovely old hymn, Full Salvation. Full Salvation, Full Salvation. See the fountain opened wide, streams through every land and nation from the Saviour's wounded side. Full Salvation, Full Salvation, streams and endless crimson tide. Oh, the glorious revelation. See the cleansing current flow, washing stains of condemnation whiter than the driven snow. Full salvation, full salvation. Oh, the rapturous bliss 
to know. Pages seem to be stuck together. Life immortal, heaven descending, now my heart the spirit's shrine, God and man in oneness blending, what a fellowship is mine. Full salvation, full salvation, raised in Christ to life divine. Care and doubting, gloom and sorrow, fear and grief are mine no more. Faith fears not a dark tomorrow, for my Saviour goes before. Full salvation, full salvation, full and free forevermore. Amen.